Now, the Jen Charlton Show on 930 WFMD and WFMD.com. Telling it like it is with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning and welcome, everybody. It's great to be here with you. And I just want to say, uh, last week at our health and wellness conference, Restoring Health in a Toxic World, boy, did we have an amazing, an amazing day. And we're going to do some recapping of that next week. And we're going to have wellness on on the docket, if you will. So I want you to stay tuned for that next week, and we'll, we'll cover some really great content. Um, because today, given what's happened with the FBI and the Durham report, we have so much to cover about government abuse, overreach of power, and frankly, I'm going to say a lack of accountability to ensure that this stuff doesn't happen. So it's too late. The water's over the dam. The damage has been done. And a lot of people have been harmed by the disgusting government power that has been utilized against we the people. And I took three hours of my time yesterday, maybe longer, three and a half probably, to go through the testimonies of the FBI whistleblowers. Now, what's outrageous about all this is the very oversight committee in which they testified that oversees the FBI, it's the Judicial Committee. The Democrats tried to say, these people aren't whistleblowers. Here's what I want you to wrap your head around. The FBI determines who's whistleblowers against the FBI. Yeah, it's crazy talk. It's like a child disciplining himself for stealing the candy from the cookie jar. I mean, (laughs) that makes no sense. But that's where we are. These people are out of control. They have been given the keys to the kingdom to say whether or not they're doing their job and whether or not they're abusing power and whether or not they're committing tyranny against the people. You know, if somebody's given that amount of power, corruption is absolute. What is it? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. So where we are is those Democrats tried to discredit these patriots who are sitting in front of this committee putting all on the line. For who? For you and me. They're taking the hits. They're the front line. They're the guys who said, you know what, something ain't right and I've got to say something despite what may happen to me or my family. And I'm going to give you highlights from that testimony today because you need to understand the abuse of power that's been occurring at the Department of Justice and within that Department of Justice, specifically at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Now, I'm not saying that all FBIers are bad people. I'm not. But there's enough bad eggs in that basket that the agency is corrupt. So when you get to the point where you're threatened, 
Now you're the example, and that's what they've done with these guys, made them the example for others so they keep everybody shut up about what's going on. Because God forbid anybody else opens up their mouth and says, I agree with what they said. Here's what I've seen. Here's what I've witnessed. Here's what we've been asked to do by our leadership against the people unconstitutionally. And every American, frankly, every human, whether you're American or not, in this country ought to be outraged by what you're about to learn. And if you haven't learned, it's worth three hours of your time to go through this because it will blow your mind. So I'm going to start with Alan Dershowitz, who I have tremendous regard for. And he, you know, is a Democrat. You know, he says so. Friends with Clinton. But wrong is wrong. And the man understands that. And he's got integrity which is severely lacking right now at the Federal Bureau of Investigation. Their integrity is out the window. So I want you to take a listen to this. Alan Dershowitz, and he's giving his opening kind of remarks about his analysis on the Durham report. I will be doing more reading on this one going forward. I spent most of my time on this FBI whistleblowers this week. So take a listen to Alan. He's the expert. Analysis that there were no conclusions reached. Well, let let me read you. Uh, Durham's report states that the FBI used um, uh, raw, unanalyzed, and uncorroborated intelligence to launch the crossfire hurricane investigation into Trump and Russia. And here's the, this is a bombshell, but used a different standard when weighing concerns about alleged election interference regarding Hillary Clinton's campaign. They used a different standard. What the, what the, the Durham report is accusing the Justice Department and the FBI of is of a double standard. One standard for Trump, one standard for Hillary Clinton. If that's not a bombshell, I don't know what it is. Um, Durham points specifically to, quote, highly significant intelligence the FBI received from a trusted foreign source pointing to a Clinton campaign plan to vilify Trump by tying him to Vladimir Putin so as to divert attention from her own concerns relating to her use of a private email server. Now, what could be more significant than that? A trusted source trying to vilify Trump by tying him falsely to Vladimir Putin. That's a finding. That's a conclusion. That's pretty serious. Um, But and then I'll continue to read. Unlike the FBI's opening of a full investigation of unknown members of the Trump campaign based on raw, uncorroborated information in this separate matter, involving a purported Clinton campaign plan, the FBI never opened up any kind of an inquiry, issued any tasking, employed any analytical personnel, or produced any analytical products in connection with this information. That's not a bombshell. That's not a bombshell. What they're basically saying is there was a far stronger basis 
We're opening an investigation of Clinton. Remember, I'm a friend of Hillary Clinton. I voted for her. I contributed to her campaign. I've met with her. Okay. So he he's not trying to trash Clinton. He liked her. What is what he just said is stunning. Because what it points to is that the DNC operatives within the Federal Bureau of Investigation diverted their resources, our tax dollars, their intellectual talents and abilities to tank Trump. Now, that is a bombshell. That is election interference. That is a coup against this country from within a government agency on behalf of Hillary Rodham Clinton. Now, if that isn't a holy whatever... I don't know what else it's going to take to wake some people up. If you're a Democrat or an independent listening to this, how does that make you feel? Well, first of all, what's stunning to me is what she can't win on her own. She has to have people in her pocket. She's so weak. She's such a bad candidate that she can't win over a majority of the people. She has to suck up to the FBI and have them suck up to her in order to win or for them to take control of this government while Trump is in office. This is stunning news. Now, the only thing that really disappoints me here is I haven't heard from Mr. Durham, the half a dozen people or whoever who's going to be prosecuted as a result of this. Because heads ought to roll. If this were in a local or state government level, are you kidding me? People would be fired, hopefully. Maybe not. Maybe it's tolerated at the local and state level. But this federalism that's going on, this federal kind of concocted fourth arm of the federal government that's running things, they need to go. So I don't care if you want to call it a deep state or corrupt politics or the mafia or whatever name you want to give it, this is corruption. And this is a takedown of our country from within. How dare they do that against we the people? So I want to go on to the whistleblowers because I think this was stunning inside the context of what Mr. Dershowitz has has laid out for us here. I want to play something for you that's actually toward the end. It's two and a half hours into these testimonies. It ran about three and a half hours with a break in the middle. In this, one of the uh, inquirers on the panel, and this is the Judiciary Committee, this is Mr. Johnson speaking, makes a statement and asks some questions. Here you go. Who knew that this was against their 
oaths of, of service in their duty spoke up and they're being retaliated against. Mr. O'Boyle, I wanted to just discuss one of these examples. In your transcribed interview with committee members, you stated that federal law enforcement involvement at school board meetings would, in your words, absolutely chill parents from exercising their First Amendment rights. Can you explain a little bit more by what you meant by that? Yes, so one of the examples given in uh, the congressional letter included an example where uh, a neighbor or, or somehow someone knew a parent that they believed was extreme, and so they called the FBI and reported that parent to the FBI. When citizens in this country get to a point where they can call the most powerful law enforcement agency in the world on their neighbor just because they disagree with them, that is chilling to the First Amendment rights of the people who are getting the FBI called on them. That is absolutely right. The parents who are concerned about their kids' education have a right to come to the school board, school board meeting and express those sentiments, and they should not have fear of the federal government investigating them or doing, as you testified and explained to us, that the FBI counterterrorism and criminal divisions came together to create a unique threat tag to label these parents domestic terrorists. Mr. O'Bull, is it accurate to say that you tried to fix all these issues within the FBI? Okay, before we go on, because I think this is worth hearing, we just had a meeting this past Wednesday, and this is happening across the country. People are activated because they've had enough. But when you weaponize the Federal Bureau of Investigation against parents and call them, tag them, hashtag them, domestic terrorists, you have lost your minds. And you are way out of your lane. Parents have a right to protect their children. They don't belong to the state, as in communism. They belong to us. They're our people. And you all need to hands off. Hold on. Here, we're going to listen a little bit more. Through the chain of command, and it was only after no action was taken, that then you came forward to Congress to disclose this information. It's accurate that we did discuss it at the squad level, um, but the FBI is set up in a way where line agents like me or line supervisors even, they're not going to be able to accomplish fixing such a vast problem from the inside of the FBI. And, and what you've done is exactly what federal law requires of you. We recognize, as was said here a moment ago, we recognize and protect whistleblowers for their patriotic duty. Why? Because it's essential to maintain the rule of law and to make sure that corruption does not fester throughout the government. And isn't it true that once the FBI found out you spoke to Congress, that your security clearance was then suspended? Yes, I believe that's what happened. And what? Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and then I have a guest coming on who has worked in uh, federal and intel community and is going to share some insight. But one thing to remember is, and you're going to hear more about the damage that's been done to these young men who stood up for what was right against the Federal Bureau of Investigation, otherwise referred to as the FBI. Retaliation happened. They have been scorned. They have been dismissed. They've been denied the right to earn a living. They've had to get charitable contributions 
makes me cry. This old boy we just listened to had a two-week-old baby, was relocated for the job, and then when he got to the new location, they canceled him. And there he was with no earnings, no way to provide for his four beautiful daughters, one that was two weeks old. And they, they restrict their security clearance. You can't do this job without a security clearance, and they know that. So they put them out of work, made them unemployable, but would not grant them the ability to go get released, basically, from employment there so they could go find other work in their field of choice with their expertise. This is Gestapo. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Jen Charlton Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back. It's great to have you guys here. And I would like to bring on my guest, who I've had the pleasure of of getting to know through this process of trying to save our country. And I want you to know that there are a lot of patriots out there who have stepped up and stepped in the poo-poo to try and save our country from exactly what we're talking about right now that's been festering under the surface. And I don't believe it's just the last three years. It's come to a head over the last three years. It's like the volcanic eruption has occurred. But for decades, this has been going on, and they've been getting away with it. And they've been planting seeds to pull off what we're in the midst of right now. And I just want to say on a private note, you know, yesterday I was pretty blue. I was like, what's the point? Are we going to make it through this? Because people say, well, we're going to lose our country. Make no mistake, we already have. Let that sink in. We already have. The only question is, can we recover it? Because what's going on now is not the United States of America, as designed by our forefathers, as written about and protected in our Constitution and our founding documents. It just ain't. So my question to you is, what are we going to do about it? You all need to be getting on the emails and the phones and calling your congresspeople and letting them know how you feel. Whether or not they're on your side, on the politics, they need to know enough is enough. We've had enough. Everybody needs to be outraged. All right. I want to bring on Bob Kofod, who is uh, former Intel. And uh, Bob, good morning and welcome to the Jen Charlton Show. Good morning, Jen. It's great to have you here. Can you give everybody a quick synopsis of your career? I know it's a long one. So can you just kind of give us an overview so we understand your background? Sure, sure. I spent uh, 37 years in the intelligence community. I served in the Navy, the Air Force, CIA, and as a uh, private contractor for a number of years. Well, thank uh, you. Thank uh, you for uh, your service. A lot of... Yeah. Yeah, it, it was... It was uh, an extensive amount of experience, and I think the thing that I would most like to, to to talk about this morning is the bravery of these guys that are the whistleblowers. It's incredible. What does it take to go up against the machine? You know, it, I, as I watched the hearings, um, I was impressed with two things. Number one, I've, I've seen a lot of bravery in, in my life. But it was all military kind of an intelligence community bravery where 
uh, you have buddies, and, and you know you go to war, and bravery is sort of part of the equation, and it's you have people with you who are brave. But these guys are on their own, and they're going against the machine. And you know it was, I, I had two tours in Vietnam, and I, but I knew my family was safe at home. These guys have have sacrificed everything that they have worked for in their lives. It takes a lot to become an agent in the FBI. It takes a lot of focus and, and, and time to build a reputation and do what they've done. And to sacrifice that, to sacrifice your, your income, your pension, your, your, your family, the whole thing is just... Your health care? They have no health care. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the whole thing. And, and so, you know, I, I hope people really understand that these people are extremely patriotic folks. Um, you know, the idea of willing to sacrifice what they have sacrificed for what they believe is the good of the country is an amazing uh, statement. All uh, right. We're... The other, Go ahead. The other thing that, that hit me was the, the commentary from the Democrat side of the, of the panel, which, which was horrific. And it was, you know, it, it was so evil that for one of the rare times in my life, I, I thought I saw a, a, a satanic display. You know, it was just crazy. On that note, we're, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to cue up what you're referring to because I agree with you. The gall, the unmitigated gall that these people had. One was... Um, uh, Sanchez, I believe, and the other one was the lead Democrat. Both of them. This this woman tried to say that his Twitter account said all these statements, and the guy's like, "Yeah, but it's not my Twitter." <laughs> I mean, and then she had to keep coming at him because she could not stand the fact that she was wrong. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Jen Charlton Show. I have Bob Kofod on the phone with me. I want to play the segment that he was referencing where one of the segments, Miss Plackett, the ranking member of the Democrats for this subcommittee looking at the weaponization of federal government and specifically the FBI. Take a listen. In our previous three hearings, we've heard my Republican colleagues and their witnesses downplay the danger of extremism in America. Suggesting that the 2020 election was stolen and claimed that January 6th was anything other than an attempted insurrection, anything other than domestic terrorism. From what I can glean about today's hearing, and I'm gonna say glean because my Republican colleagues don't really want us to work together. They give us the bare minimum notice for hearings no subject indicated. We learn who the hearing witnesses is from British tabloids. That's not normal in the House of Representatives. Mun must wonder, are Republicans scared of giving us the information so that we can do our own due diligence on these conspiracy theories, these ideas that they want to put forward? Okay, so it's not conspiracy theory because we just heard from Dershowitz saying they actually did this. And the notion that we're not telling the truth, okay, is is just stunning because they're totally in denial. It's not our words. It's their actions. Here we go. 
Indeed, today's hearing will be more of the same. Perhaps they're too far gone to realize that in fact this hearing is evidence, as if we need it anymore, that MAGA Republicans are a threat to the rule of law in America. Okay. It's disgusting. The labeling, the nastiness, the targeting, the discreditation, the trying to destroy a a reputation of something. Make America great again. Let me think about that. I think we could use a good dose of that right now. Let me bring back Bob Kofod. Good morning. And Bob, what what do you think about this woman and what she's saying? She's calling you and I uh, terrorists. That's pretty stunning. You know, I think the, the number of layers of uh, corruption that we heard in that hearing is amazing. What she was talking about really is not the whistleblowers, but the corruption of the Congress itself and, and that it is no longer effective. It's just a battle between two political parties. And it, it doesn't, you know, you have to wonder where this thing ends up. What, what kind of, of resolution do these whistleblowers get? Are they going to get restored in, in terms of their, their pensions or health care? Is something going to happen to the FBI? And I think most of us feel in our gut the answer is nothing. Well, if you were running things with your background and experience, <laughs> <laughs> what would you do? How would you fix this? Oh, wow. Wow. I think I think that one of the things that has to I don't, I don't know the answer to that, Jen, honestly. I think that the more I look at it, uh, the only answer is we the people. You know, the, the, there are three things that make America unique. The first thing is that the founders claimed uh, in the Declaration that our rights come from God. The second thing is that they enumerated the rights. They made a list in the, in the Congress in the Bill of Rights that says these are the rights that government can't uh, take away from us. And the third thing they did was they made the will of government controlled by the people. It's our job to to fix this. Yeah, but here's the thing. And I think we're 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 as I said, we've already lost the battle. Okay, we already we already have lost the country. Now the question is, can we bring it back? Can we recover it? So if you're saying it's up to us, and I, you know, I, I wrote down here, government is too big to fail. Is it? Is a bank too big to fail? Is government too big to fail? When is it? And we talk about you know giving control in government to the locals, right? Government should be at the local and state level. The federal just provides kind of an overarching protection on our borders. Let's start there, right, where he's failed miserably. The man should be impeached. Okay, he has violated his oath of office, this Biden person. Okay, so he should be impeached. Why that's not happening, I don't know. You talk about us taking it back. There are certain remedies that we, we the people, are supposed to be given, and we are not using those remedies. Now what? Correct. Correct. You know, the elections have very likely been taken away from us. Uh, a lot of this stuff, I, I, I think, for example, the um, separation of church and state, 
which started. And when you when you think about what's going on today, it's not just it's not just Biden. This is a long term program. Uh, go back to 1954 on the Johnson Amendment to the Tax Code, which which said if churches talk about politics, a political party or a, pro, or a politician, they can lose their tax free 501c3 uh, uh, status. That's a long-term thing, and what has happened is our churches no longer participate in this dialogue. Well, I, I would offer to. I would offer one perspective on that, um, because I think it's it is that in the in the um, minority churches, I think they do talk politics, and I think it's it's allowed. Frankly, I think it's great because you're at the level of the community talking about what's important to you. So I don't have a problem with it, but I think it's allowed in some communities and not in others. If you did it yeah, well, at, at a church, you know, go ahead. Obviously, black figure, black liberation theology uh, remained uh, sacrosanct. Did said whatever it wanted to say against the country. So you're right. You know, it, it applies in some cases, but not in others. Once again, we have dual standards. And and you know, going back to what Dershowitz said at the beginning. The, these dual standards of uh, against Trump versus Clinton. I mean, that's that's kind of the premier example, but it exists everywhere, right? You know, BLM can walk down the streets and 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 Antifa and thug, but you and I are domestic terrorists if we want to support the two A. Correct. That's correct, and I think I think you're right when you say we've lost it already. Whether or not we can recover is is a good question, and I think it, it to me going back to government uh, and trying to appeal to government through the legal system doesn't make any sense. The government created this problem. The federal government expanded its power beyond anything that you know we could imagine, and. Trying to go back up that stream to, to have the same ones that created the problem fix the problem is, seems absurd to me. Uh, and I, I don't think there's any alternative other. And I think, you know, we probably, you know, see the black cloud way out there in the future that says maybe we're going to have, a, a you know, a civil war. I don't want that. I don't want to do that again. Uh it's got. We've got to find a way that all the people, or, or at least a large portion of Americans, wake up to what's going on. It's. Uh, I think and the how number. Do that is, I think the number is thirty to forty percent. That's what my belief is. If thirty to forty percent of the country understands the severity of where we are, and that their freedom is at stake, I don't care if they're Democrat or Republican. It's irrelevant. Because we're all humans and our freedom is at stake. Our children's futures are at stake. Their freedom. What do you what do you think is the percentage of the what's called the evil people, um, the people that we saw in that hearing? Um, and that's not exclusively Democrats, but the people that are perpetrating this this huge power grab and, and I think a subversion. Um, what percentage of 
our population is really engaged in that. What would you think that would be? I, I don't think know it's, the I don't think it's a lot. I think it's five to eight percent. I don't think it's a lot. I, but, I, I agree. Yeah, I but agree. I hear here's what I do think, which which is the tragedy of it all, is that five to eight percent is leading their people to slaughter, and and their people don't even know it. They're five to eight percent on the left, and I agree with you. There's some heavy Republicans involved. Heavy. I'm not a fan of Senator Mitch McConnell. Not a fan, for example. But, but the five to eight percent who are leading this effort, and they're dangerous. They're very dangerous people. Are leading their people to slaughter, and they don't even know it. Now, you and I. And some of our friends and folks and so forth, we're awake. Now, we're not, it's not conspiracy theories. Is I want to remind people, go back a couple shows. What Klaus Schwab said, not my words, what that crazy man said is the truth of what's going on. This uh, Soros dude who's infiltrated our Department of Justice and our judicial system is a bad guy. Okay. You could say he was so grossly traumatized as a child. In human services, we would call it PTSD. He's, he's got secondary trauma, undiagnosed. Okay, what he has constructed and what he has done to this country through the judicial system by infiltrating his people has led to people who are really dangerous being out on the streets. That guy is crazy. The people who are coming across... In gangs and and getting in our society and harming people aren't doing the proper time. They're dangerous to our society. And not just the bad guys, you know, who are doing the crimes, but the people who are letting them out on the streets are dangerous to us. And they're in our judicial system. So we have to really look at how do we take back control of our judicial system and restore it? So what I have written here is, what is our prescription for recovery? And I don't think we have it yet, which is very concerning. Well, you, you know, part of, the, part of this whole thing is the complexity of the, you know, the problem. How many different uh, viewpoints are there that, uh, that produce this image that we see? Uh, my own my own view, and it's, it's something I've been working on for about a, a year now, is the relationship between what this government is doing and all of these woke programs uh, uh, to uh, a list of communist goals that uh, really you can trace back over 150 years. Uh, the, the communists have communist leaders have said time and time again, we're going to take over capitalism and we're going to destroy the United States without firing a shot. And I think you can trace many of these programs. Critical race theory goes right back to Marx. Um, the the inflation. Well, why why do we uh, suddenly just kill the, our, our oil production capability that results in inflation and hardship to the people? What about this in, this huge debt that we're creating? Where does that go? All of these things, I think, are, are part and party of a, of a serious uh, plan of subversion that probably ends up as some sort of a version of communism. Well, and let me and, say this. When you say subversion, I think, you know, 
I would say it maybe more harshly. Um, you're just nicer than I am. I I think I would say it as as treason. People have committed treason against the nation. And when yeah. they talk about the coup, it did not happen on January 6th, as Miss Plackett would have us believe. Okay? It did not happen then. Right. It happened when they stole the 2020 election and probably mucked with the 2016. They just couldn't overcome Trump. He overran their system of corruption and prevailed, which made them crazy. So I want to take a quick break. We're going to come back. I want to reset. I want to play another couple of segments because I think it's really important for you all to hear what these FBI whistleblowers have said about what they're enduring. We'll be right back. Okay, welcome back. This is Jen. I have Bob Kofod on the phone with me, and, and, and Bob is a background in Intel. And we're talking about, really, how do we save our country? I want to play a segment here, if I can get to it, that's with one of the whistleblowers that I just think is really important for you to hear. Here you go. I'm disappointed and I'm angry that I have to be here to testify about the weaponization of the FBI and DOJ. Weaponization against not only its own employees, but against those institutions and individuals that are supposed to protect the American people. I'm here today because even though I'm wrongfully suspended from the FBI, I remain duty bound to the American people to play my small role in rectifying these issues. After all, I never swore an oath to the FBI. I swore an oath to the Constitution. I've served my nation and community my entire adult life, first in the United States Army, then as a police officer, and lastly as an FBI special agent. Shortly after high school, I joined the United States Army where I served in the infantry and I was quickly promoted through the ranks. I deployed to both Iraq and Afghanistan in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom and Operation Enduring Freedom. I served in the historic 101st Airborne Division. I received the Combat Infantryman's Badge, which is awarded to those infantrymen who engage in ground combat with our nation's enemies. The Army's official motto is, this will defend. Along with numerous others, I volunteered to serve this nation, risking my life in combat to protect America and her values. I know some of the best men and women this country has to offer. They come from all backgrounds, races, and creeds. They helped mold me into the person I am today. Each was willing to sacrifice, and many did, to protect this great nation. It is our duty to honor their sacrifices by standing up for what is right, regardless of the difficulty. After serving in the Army, I became a police officer. Police officers, like me, are imperfect beings, but we strive to uphold the law and the Constitution. People who go to work every day trying to make their communities better yet who nonetheless are faced with budget cuts and calls for defunding as we continue spiraling away from law and order as a nation. While serving as a police officer, I finished my bachelor's degree graduating with honors in criminology and law studies. Shortly thereafter, I began the long road to becoming an FBI special agent, a position I once understood to be the pinnacle of law enforcement and a way to continue to serve this nation and protect and defend the Constitution. During my four years as a special agent, I received the highest annual review an employee can receive I volunteered for, tried out for, and was selected for an FBI SWAT team. I also volunteered for, tried out for, and was selected for a new unit the FBI created. I also received an award for my work on an anti-abortion extremism case. I've been smeared as a malcontent and subpar FBI employee. This smear stands in stark contrast to my life in public service. This smear campaign, disgusting as it is, is unsurprising. Despite our oath to uphold the Constitution, too many in the FBI aren't willing to sacrifice for the hard right over the easy wrong. They see what becomes of whistleblowers, how the FBI destroys their careers, suspends them under false pretenses, 
takes their security clearances and pay with no true options for real recourse or remedy. This is by design. It creates an Orwellian atmosphere that silences opposition and discussion. We know what is right to do, yet we too often refuse to do what is right because of the difficulty and suffering it incurs. I couldn't knowingly continue on this path silently without speaking out against the weaponization I witnessed, even if it meant losing my job, my career, my livelihood, my family's home, and now my anonymity. It's up to members of this committee, current and former FBI employees, and indeed all Americans, to ensure that the weaponization of our own government against the people comes to an end, no matter the personal cost. As James Madison prudently opined, in framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and the next place, oblige it to control itself. So there's more to it where he talks about the harm that they did. And I told you that story earlier against him and his family. How dare they do this to this man? He's a patriot. He's brave. He came forward and he stood up. But what they're trying to do is make an example of him so nobody else speaks up. Because if anybody else speaks up, their house of cards is going to fall. Now, I'm asking everybody listening and those who aren't, I'm asking you to reach out to people you know in the FBI. And if they know something, they have to say something. These abuses must end. They must. And if it means tearing down that house of cards and building a new one, that's what must be done. Bob, your thoughts? Well, I can't. I, I can't agree more. You know, I think that what you are doing is part of the is, is part of what has to happen. Communications has to be at the top of the list. We have to communicate to, to as many people as possible uh, with a credible story of of what this all means. And I think uh, we have a lot of people that, you know, in some of the research that I did about you know communism and what's going on, I came upon a. a a statement by I think it was Machiavelli, and what he the the term was prideful indolence, and I think that's correct. It's a, it's an interesting term. We've been proud of America, but we haven't held up our end of the deal as the people. Uh, we have we have not been active enough. We've turned over the keys to the government, and the government has turned against us. And the answer has to be with the people, and it has to be with communicating to millions of people. There may be, you know, there may be politicians that can help in us. I, I'm, I, I have a, I have a good feeling about Trump, and 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 probably DeSantis. But I think, you know, the the guy with the trumpet is is Trump. <laughs> um, well, and I I, I think that this is a time where. We it cannot be one office. See, I I I don't know about DeSantis. I mean, there's some there's good bad. We're all yeah. imperfect humans, right? And so is he. Right. But you know, we all need to play our role, and not everybody gets to be president. The one thing I know is President Trump has demonstrated success as a government leader in turning around our country, and whoever gets that role better be able to do it quick. Because we are teetering on the edge of destruction. So I'm not sure we'll make it to 2024. But if we do, we need somebody who can turn this ship around 
really fast. The second thing is it's going to take, to your point, the Senate and the Congress and the roles, and, and, and it's going to take, frankly, the boards of elections across this country, the little people in the little roles doing the little minute details, standing up for integrity, truth, and operational soundness to ensure that we are leading this country with integrity properly. You can't have people, and, you know, I want to give a shout-out to my father and to you and all the people who've worked, and Natalie, who've worked across the state, Robin Sachs, to turn around the focus onto the uh, the director of elections here in Maryland because she's leaving. Hallelujah, praise the Lord. So uh, Miss Lamone is history as of September. I, I, September can't come soon enough. I wish she'd leave sooner. Okay, she's been harmful to our state. So but when you look at all the people under her tutelage and control. You know, we have a friend who stood up against the election board and said, what you're doing isn't right. She worked in the election office and she saw the corruption and she said, you can't do that. That's not right. And she lost her job, just like these guys. So. I, I just want to thank you. We're we're up against this, and I definitely want to have you come back, Bob. You're writing a book. Tell us about that book. Well, it's a book that's uh, uh, still in the very formative stages, but it's based upon analysis that I've done of um, communist goals that were published back in 1958, um, about 50 goals that specify what communists need to do to take over America. All right, good. Uh, So when you have that produced, we're going to have you back. We're going to talk more about it. But in the meantime, you and I are going to cover some of this content because I think it's really important. I have my father in studio, and he has one minute to share his final thoughts about all this. Dad? Well, I think you guys are right on. But I also like to, to say that We have a federal case going right now, and we are ready to pop a huge amount of exact engineering evidence, not just for Maryland, but the entire country. And we've now risen to the level of the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. And boy, do we have a show to talk about when the time comes. Okay, so you, you. you heard it here, and thank you guys. Listen... It's important for everybody listening to talk to the people in your sphere of influence. And some of them are not going to be open to what you have to say. So you may be more uh, delicate than I am about opening them up and waking them up to what's going on. But one thing we can do is let them hear the truth from the people who have been testifying this week against the FBI. Thanks, Bob Kofod. Thank you all. Have a fabulous week. You've been listening to The Jen Charlton Show. 